Welcome in everyone to 32 Beat Beyond the Tweets. I'm Zach Hajduk, and today I have with us Houston Texans beat writer John Crumpler. John is joining us for the second time here on the show after appearing during the offseason. If you haven't listened to that, maybe go check that out. He's a lead analyst for USA Today's The Texans Wire and host of Another Texans Podcast. If you're looking for him on Twitter or X, you can find him at John H. Crumpler. That's C-R-U-M-P-L-E-R. John, welcome back to the show. Zach, thank you for having me on, man, and thank you for the introduction there. It's uh, it's a lot more fun to be talking about the Texans right now than it was a few months ago. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. You know, they're sitting, uh, what is it, three and three now uh, in somewhat of a legitimate, yeah, right you know, yeah, somewhat legitimate race for the uh the division title there maybe with the Jaguars. It seems as though we just saw some uh, news the last couple days go down with the Titans that they're getting rid of some of their players. Maybe they won't even have Derrick Henry by the time you guys face them this year, which I'm sure you guys would appreciate. So just uh, overall, I mean, again, yeah, welcome back. And uh, since we talked last seven weeks through the season coming off their bye, what and who are the Texans? I mean, I think that's a great question and something I'm actually planning to write on at some point this week. Um, I think the Texans have firmly exited the um, bottom dweller tier of the NFL. It has been as good to a start of the season as they could have asked for. Uh, Rookie quarterback C.J. Stroud, it looks like he's on pace to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, Some of their skill position pieces, such as Dalton Schultz, Tank Dell, Nico Collins has hit. Offensive coordinator Bobby Slowick is... I mean, really, he's coaching up a storm. It looks like he'll be getting head coaching interviews, if not this offseason, the next offseason. And it's early, and they need some more talent, but you can already see D'Amico Ryans and all the praise he got when he was in San Francisco as AP Associate Coach of the Year. Um, His fingerprints are all over that defense. So who are the Texans? Uh, I think they're somewhere in the middle right now. There's probably that that phrase, a year away, would be very pertinent here where – they're on the right track. Um, they're not terrible, but I don't think they're quite in the contending tier of the AFC. And they're a team that you kind of have to watch because once they add a few more pieces this offseason, things could start to happen pretty quickly. All right. Yeah, no, I think that's been the most exciting part of this now. I'll have to admit, uh, and our listeners will know this, coming into the season, I kind of had – uh, the uh, Panthers quarterback, uh, wow, I'm blanking on the name right now. Good grief. Uh, how do you forget the first Bryce Young? Pick? Yeah, Bryce Young. Thank you very much, John. Uh, it's We'll pretend that it's like super That'd early be. in the morning. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I had Bryce Young as a rookie, uh, rookie of the year, and CJ Stroud has proved me totally wrong and has been very impressive, and that's got to be exciting for you guys. I uh, was looking up some things. PFF has him uh, on third and fourth down this season. 46 for 75 passing at 624 yards, six touchdowns, and uh, an 83.2 passing grade, which is third in the NFL. So PFF on third and fourth down has him third in the NFL at quarterback. That seems like something to be encouraged by. Anything else that you've seen from him uh, so far that you have really liked? Yeah, I mean, while we're on the topic of C.J. Stroud and you bring up Bryce Young, I think it's important just to talk about what the pre-draft narratives were with C.J. Stroud and how he's kind of already started to check the closer to the ceiling box than the floor box with a lot of these criteria. So 
I mean, I think for the listeners who haven't watched and this is a guy who there was some concern at Ohio State that he wasn't a mobile quarterback. Um, under Bobby Sloak's offense and actually under some duress compared to Ohio State, he's been more than mobile enough. He looks a lot more like that Georgia quarterback than I actually thought he was more mobile in the Northwestern game than people gave him credit for. But, you know, some of those worst games that people pointed to, um, the high-level accuracy down the field, it is flashing, it is there. This is a guy who – has the arm strength to rip a lot of throws and he's not afraid to do it. Um, throws with phenomenal anticipation and clearly has some great early chemistry with these receivers. I mean, nine touchdowns, one interception. He's seeing the field as well as you could have hoped. Um, and what is that given a CJ Stroud that is his weapons are good enough for right now. And someone who's more mobile than people thought it's, I mean, already looking like someone who could eventually be a top 10 quarterback in the league, if not higher. And really, I think that the arrow is only going to continue to point up as Stroud gets more consistent through the second half of the season here. They've had the bye week this past week to work on some stuff. But um, for, for anyone who loves Stroud in the pre-draft process, you've seen those things. And for people who had questions, I think he's already answered quite a few of them. Yeah, yeah, certainly for me. And uh, the, yeah, the, you mentioned the nine touchdowns and one interception. His first interception came uh, last, uh, not last week, but the previous game they played against uh, the 49 or not 49ers Saints there. And uh, I, I don't maybe don't quote me on this, but was that the longest streak by a rookie or maybe it was just over a given amount of time? I know that it's, it, was. Uh, it was the most consecutive yeah. passing attempts and most passing yards without an interception for a rookie. Yeah, so we've seen a lot of good things there. Uh, you mentioned the wide receivers. Uh, let's uh, we'll, we'll get to them. Let's talk for a second about Schultz because we spoke, I believe, uh, the last time when when we were talking, we mentioned Dalton Schultz, the tight end there, as somebody who would kind of maybe be a key to helping him develop someone who can be there as like a, a good option. If things, you know, break down, like a, a reliable tight end seems to be a good thing for a rookie, I guess is what I'm getting at here. The first three games didn't see a whole lot from him, but the last three games we've seen a touchdown uh, each of the last three and over 60 yards in the last two games. Can you explain maybe the difference and what we've seen from the first three weeks, to the last three weeks? Yeah, Zach, I think when I was on your show in August, I actually predicted that Dalton Schultz would lead the team in targets. So we're through six games here, and right now he's third on the team in targets. He has 34. He's right behind Robert Woods and Nico Collins. He's third on the team in routes run. Um, but you're right. This, this is a picture that seemed to have changed after the third week, and I think there could be a couple of um, different things uh, playing into that. Uh, one would be Tank Dell has been absent. I think that's notable for they they kind of lack some explosiveness right now on the outside. Robert Woods is more of a move the chains person that um, Stroud trusts to throw into tight windows. And Nico Collins, of course, the number one guy on this offense. But Dell's absence has opened up targets. And I also think part of it is that defenses are already really trying to change how they want to attack C.J. Stroud. And so what I say that, I mean, when you watch the early games, a lot of teams, they wanted to try to heat him up. They wanted to pressure Stroud and see if they could make him make a bad mistake. And what he pretty quickly showed is this offense, it's very well schemed. It has answers for me if I'm hot. And also I know where those answers are. And what it led to is some huge games from Nico Collins, some huge games from Tank Dell. 
And we kind of saw during week five, the Falcons were the first ones to adjust to it. They just said, we're not going to blitz you. We'll drop eight into coverage. We'll drop seven into coverage. Um, we'll make, you know, it's it's a good receiving group, but it's not a great receiving group. Let's see if they, you can find anyone who beats us. And when teams are playing a lot of zone, I kind of think the way that teams are defending the Houston Texans right now, it does open things up for Dalton Schultz to be more of a difference maker. And you can kind of listen to Stroud and Schultz build chemistry in real time. They talked about for anyone who watched the Atlanta game, um, Stroud did lead what would have been a game winning drive if the defense had held that included a 30 yard touchdown to Schultz. And that was actually a play that Stroud recognized earlier in the game. He saw that safety Jesse Bates was biting down really hard uh, when Schultz was running those in routes and he talked to the offensive coordinator, he talked to Schultz and he said, let's run this play one more time. We'll give him that same look, but this time carry your route vertical. And lo and behold, Jesse Bates bit on it pretty hard. The same safety who picked off Bryce Young two times. And instead, Stroud, he fakes it. Schultz sells it well. And they're right over the safety for a touchdown. So I think it's good chemistry. I think it's in part to how defenses are adjusting. And I think it's in part opportunity with Tank Dell. But um, even with Dell returning from a concussion this week, something that should continue if defenses are going to keep sitting back in soft zones against C.J. Stroud. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you're touching back on some CJ Stroud stuff and it just uh, what you were saying reminded me of uh, something I was listening to on uh, the ringer podcast with um, Benjamin Solak. I mean, he's just been super impressed uh, seeing him play like a veteran is what, you know, he's, he feels like, and it, you know, Schultz being that guy who can kind of work with him if you're on the same page. And so uh, we'll see. Uh, see how that continues to develop. And if your prediction ends up uh, correct there with the uh, target leader, you know, the other guys catching targets there, uh, Nico Collins, uh, you mentioned uh, Robert Woods, but Nico Collins has been somewhat of a revelation for those who maybe weren't paying as close of attention last year. Uh, he seems to be pretty impressive currently leading uh, the team in yardage at 547. He's got three touchdowns on the year. Uh, just 29 receptions, but he's really doing a lot with those uh, those receptions. So my question to you is, do you think he's a legitimate number one wide receiver or can be for this team? How, uh, you know, do you see that kind of going forward? Did you think that this would kind of be the result of uh, Nico Collins' career this year? That's a great question. And I think that's a question that the Houston Texans themselves are going to be trying to answer um, for the next 11 games here, because coming into the year, you're right. I don't think anyone expected that Nico Collins could look like this. I was very optimistic. I wrote an article back in July about how Nico Collins had, um, he'd been asked to watch how Julio Jones was and Brandon Ayuk had been used in Shanahan type schemes as that bigger receiver, someone who can be moved around his lot. But even with that high praise of a comparison for what they might want to do with him, I don't think anyone would have expected the production that Nico Collins has brought. And what it's been, I mean, it's been a great adjustment by offensive coordinator Bobby Sloak to say, this is the fastest receiver on our team. This is the strongest receiver on our team. And I think uh, under former offensive coordinator Pep Hamilton, his route tree was a little limited. So what have they done? Um, they found creative ways to get him the ball. They'll run him on crossers. They'll get him with screens. And most importantly, this is on in and post routes, one of the most effective wide receivers in the NFL right now. You've got someone who once he gets a full head of steam, he's very difficult to keep up with. Um, and Stroud is willing to put balls 
where they need to be before Nico is even remotely there. I think it took a few weeks, actually. Mm. There was a throw from the Jacksonville game. I don't think Nico Collins even realized that Stroud will be able to fit it into that window. But the two have really strong chemistry. Stroud absolutely raves about Nico Collins. And what happens when Stroud is willing to put the ball to Nico in these situations, you've got a guy who um, is strong enough that he breaks a lot of tackles. I mean, I'm looking at right here. You said he has 547 receiving yards. 249 of those yards have come after the catch. So this is someone who's just eating defenses alive through what he does once the ball is in his hands. And it's been an altogether great effort by Stroud, by the scheme, and by Nico himself uh, to make the production look like this. Now, is he a number one wide receiver? I'm not sure. I think he might function better as a – is a high-end number two, but if he keeps producing like this, he, he might be the person to dissuade Houston from draft from, I mean, honestly, he might not even care if they draft another receiver. He's going to be due for a payday soon is the big thing. And you got to figure out how much are you willing to pay Nico Collins? And if, if he is this caliber of player that he shows, um, whether that's for the fantasy audience or for the football loving audience, I don't think it'll be a big deal if they want to drop in another guy because you've got the type of quarterback who could sustain to um, high-level weapons like Nico Collins and maybe plugging in a Keon Coleman or another wide receiver in the draft. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you mentioned a little bit back there, Tank Dell. Uh, I didn't put this on the show, Doc, so if you uh, <laughs> if you don't have uh, anything crazy for it's us, okay. uh, that's fine. But um, I think he was out last game, correct? Uh, he surprised me a bit because frankly, I just, I, I really had a bias against a lot of the guys who are coming in the league this year that were just really light. And so far, a lot of them have really shown out and, and I've been wrong about that. Uh, he leads the team or not leads the team. He's second on the team in, in receiving yardage. Do you think that his production is sustainable? Obviously, you know, he's injured at the moment. Uh, I don't know what his prediction on this, uh, coming game would be. Maybe you can give us some insight there, but uh yeah how have you felt uh the rookie tank dell has been yeah i mean for tank dell i you asked is this sustainable and i would say yes at least for this season tank dell he certainly passed my own expectations as a smaller receiver pretty much every high-end comparison that you could have given him for how his game was going to translate it's worked thus far at the nfl he is quicker than quick he's running fantastic routes And he has a good chemistry with Stroud about being where he needs to be. Um, And it's not just as a slot receiver. This isn't a guy who's working as a smaller receiver. He's playing on the perimeter a lot. Robert Woods is, frankly, manning that slot role. So this is big boy receiver work by Tank Dell. And I think in an offense that they don't run the ball very well. They run the ball a lot. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But they don't run the ball particularly effectively. This is a team that has to throw the football to win. Tank Dell's production should continue as long as he can stay healthy. And I mean, right, he was previously dinged up. He's in the concussion protocol. You kind of hope that's a fluky thing. Um, and if he's out there, I would expect that he produces with Stroud. Okay. Uh, you know, John Mechie was a guy, the wide receiver there. Second round pick, I think it was last year. Is there any hope for him? Tell me something good. I just, he's, or, or maybe just crush my dreams because, man, uh, he's got six receptions on the year. not getting a lot of snaps now. I know the comments were like, hey, you know, he has to be able to get ready. He's from a previous you know, regime, as it were. So 
Uh, talk to me just briefly about John Mechie. Are we going to see anything from this guy, really? So let's let's start with the positives. So this is still the same GM who drafted him. You're right. It's a new head coach, a new offensive coordinator, a new scheme. But I think Mechie has shown flashes of doing things very well that they care about. And I know no one playing fantasy cares about this, but the guy blocks his ass off. He is fantastic in the running game. He's been very polite. He's going to see the field in that way because he brings that element to the game. And in Bobby Sloak's offense coming from that Shanahan tree, that is a big part of how they want to win games. They need receivers who can block. They run a lot of two wide receiver sets, and he's out there frequently. Now, what that has not translated to that you mentioned is that he's not out there for a lot of dedicated passing downs. Right now, he is, I believe, eighth on the team in route runs. He's run 42 routes this season. Mm-hmm. And this is someone who kind of was minorly elevated when Noah Brown went out and then Tank Dell went out. But when Noah Brown came back last week against the Saints, pretty quickly supplanted Mechie to go back down the depth chart. I think this is someone who's still working to getting elements of his game fully back to NFL speed. Um, but in terms of when he has been asked to produce, when he has flashed, I think he is the strong route runner that we recommend that we saw coming out of Alabama. This is um, someone with strong hands, someone who can block that all the things that they loved about John Mechie, they're still there. I just think if it's going to happen, it's going to happen pretty gradually. And I tweeted this, especially if the Texans are not going to make the playoffs and we can talk about the team outlook a little later. But I wouldn't be surprised if they start to transition some of their roles they're giving to veterans towards younger guys that they have in the development pipeline right now. And I think one of those ways that could look is as Stroud gets really comfortable and I think Robert Woods targets have kind of steadily gone down um, a little frustration with Robert Woods, actually, mm. um, in that I think it was the New Orleans game where CJ Stroud on scramble drills essentially could have had a huge first down and would have had a touchdown, but they were just off. He throws the ball and Woods has moved somewhere else. Mm. That All this to say, I don't think Woods is irreplaceable in this role. And I think that what Woods does, which is operate from the slot, run reliable routes, strong hands, be a willing and able or blocker in the running game. I think that's a role that Mechie could really start to creep into and that maybe past this season uh, you start to see him be effective in, especially as that strength and that game speed's only going to come back post-chemotherapy. Okay. Uh, so considering all of the wide receivers there, uh, let me throw a curveball at you. If you were going to pick one to lead in production for the next three years, who would it be, you think? Assuming Nico Collins stays on the team. It's Nico Collins. I mean, I, I like I like Tank Dell, but I think he's the next guy out if they want to go draft a true number one. Nico's skill set, just it's one that NFL teams have to have. He is a strong vertical runner. He threatens defenses in that way. And he's also got the strength to be a real difference maker on posts and routes, slants. In addition to you can throw him a screen, he's going to break things. Um, Stroud has a fantastic connection um, with Collins as well. The, the way they talk about each other is funny for two guys who – had no noise about them coming into the season. Right now, I would I would have to pick Nico Collins in this scheme. I guess for the next three years, things could change in that element. But this is a guy who's trending towards crushing a thousand yards as a third year, mm-hmm. and someone who is. And even with the way defenses are playing him, the way they're starting to adjust to press, um, the number one weapon on Houston's offense. 
All right. So that's definitely something to monitor. And for you fantasy people, I think we, we have our answer. I, I like that. And uh, I, I tend to agree. Uh, so for Devin Singletary then and Damian Pierce, we talked about the running back room coming in uh, to the season as well. They brought Devin Singletary in and, you know, Damian Pierce had a, a I think, better than expected year by most standards uh, last year. But this year, the running game, as you mentioned, has just really struggled. Uh, is that just because they're good at passing the ball, so they do that? Is that because the line tends to be better going backward than forward, which would be a little bit uh, different in my understanding than most offensive lines? Or is it just that Devin or Damian Pierce has been a little less effective? Right now, I think he's at uh, 2.9 yards per attempt. Now, the backups tend to, you know, you looked at almost any team, the backups, you know, oftentimes do have a little bit better of a yards per attempt. Singletary right now is at 3.9 yards an attempt. And last game saw a uh, season-high snap count uh, of 54% uh, and outperformed in that particular game, at least, uh, what Damian Pierce was able to do. Uh, Are we going to see that, like, is that a fluke what happened that week? Obviously, neither one's being crazy productive, but... What are we seeing here? Yeah, so kind of a, a multi-component question. Let's start with why can't Houston run the ball? And you brought up, is it just because they're a good passing team right now is C.J. Stroud? That would be a great answer. And that, that's not the answer. The Texans rank uh, their 29th on passing in first down, so they run the ball very consistently on first down. I believe they're 18th in running the ball on second down. This is a team that wants to run the football, and they do so incessantly. I think people are welcome to check my timeline on X. I've tweeted about how willing this team is to run into stacked boxes, how adamant this team is on running on first down, regardless of what the picture looks like. And they're not particularly effective at it, but they're going to keep doing it. So hmm. if this is something they want to be in, so they're going to keep doing, why can't they do it? And I think that is a bit multifactorial. One, which I just kind of touched on, they're predictable. I think you can tell when this team is going to run the ball. They have some very telling personnel. I mean, if um, I was looking at this yesterday, a fullback, Andrew Beck, he's a fullback, flex tight end is on the field. So when I talked about in August, mm-hmm. when he's on the field, they run the ball 65% of the time. If Tegan Gatoriano, their, their tight end two is on the field, they run the ball 70% of the time. <laughs> um, and then the scripts for when they do that based on down is very predictable. And what that leads to is, Defenses kind of want to play the run aggressively on first and second, and they're dropping in to play. They know Houston's going to bring out 11 personnel on third down if it's not working. Mm. So it's a little predictable. Um, The offensive line, I know you said it's not likely, but this really is an offensive line that has five better pass protectors than they have Mm. run guys. I think um, Laramie Tunsil is, I mean, he's the league's best pass protecting left tackle. Right tackle Titus Howard is actually having to play out of position. He's playing at left guard right now. He's not very effective there. Okay. Um, they're starting a six-round rookie at center, Jarrett Patterson, who's been serviceable but underwhelming, probably not what you'd want from your starting center. They drafted him to be a backup, not to be a starter. Shaq Mason, who they acquired from Tampa Bay um, and kind of a fire sale from Tampa, he's been phenomenal, actually. So you can't complain there. And George Fant has been at right tackle. Um, he's filled in serviceably. But this is a, a group of guys who, frankly, they're all better pass protectors than they all run protectors. And that's not a great excuse, but I do think that factors in partially to this equation. This wasn't going to be a run grading offensive line. And finally, we can get to the meat of this discussion for fantasy. 
Uh, Damian Pierce has been less effective this season. There's really no way around it. I think it's been a struggle for him transitioning from what was a power-based running scheme under Pep Hamilton to a zone-based scheme under Bobby Slowick, just for how he's seeing some of these holes develop. Um, Pierce, uh, th there was this great um, tweet by Nate Tice during the preseason. It was Damian Pierce and his old friend, the path of most resistance. And I love that because that, that is Damian Pierce. Damian Pierce loves contact and he loves to hit people. But in this schema, his, his over-eagerness right. to create contact and get plowing forward um, can leave yards on the field. And you can even see that um, in further plays downfield. Last week against New Orleans, or I mean against Atlanta, he had a screen pass that should have gone for the touchdown if he goes to the sideline. So he would have had blockers. Instead, he wants to run through the safety and the safety brings him down on this occasion. So I think Pierce, um, his struggle with the scheme transition a bit as well, a bit of a sophomore slump. And you brought up Devin Singletary. And you're right, so Devin Singletary, he outsnapped Pierce 31-21 to 21 this past game. He um, averaged 4.8 yards per carry to Pierce's 2.6. Um, it's, it's actually pretty interesting. If you look at the splits, they're using Singletary on runs towards the outside. They're using Pierce on inside runs. I still think Pierce would be the guy to get the ball if they wanted to run it on the goal line. Mm -hmm. But Singletary looks a little more effective at how he's viewing this gap running system. And they also like throwing the ball to him more than they like Damian Pierce. So I think sure. Pierce might be too talented in terms of his ability to get downhill and some of his speed uh, when he does make those cuts, when he does get moving. But it's hard to imagine Devin Singletary not keeping this at a 50-50 split moving forward just with he's been more effective. Um, so for those playing fantasy, I think you can get Devin Singletary for nothing right now if you're looking for a cheap um, RB three type. If you need someone in a pinch, that is something I would, I would look into if you can pick him up. I think the snap rate's only going to go up realistically unless Pierce had a revelation over the bye week Yeah. And there's a lot of bye weeks coming up for those, uh, who do play fantasy. There's some teams, I, there's some weeks that I think we have six, uh, teams on by. So, uh, certainly an important note there. Yeah. The scheme thing that you mentioned that just, that makes a ton of sense. Um, and yeah, there was uh, videos out there. You mentioned the Nate Tice. I think that was, he, uh, did he post a video with that tweet? Um, just, yeah, every opportunity that he could is just like, bro, why are you trying to just destroy this guy i mean i get that it probably feels good i mean if i could do it i probably would too sometimes but uh, <laughs> you know uh yeah it's just two years yeah yeah when you're running uh wide zones and and inside and stuff like that then yeah the whole point is to get out around and and get through those gaps and yeah the, depending on uh what happens on the play it, it may be in one spot or another so uh we'll see if he's able to to catch up uh, mentally on that aspect, but Devin Singletary seemingly on his heels there. So as we look forward, uh, just in general for this team, so they're three and three. Uh, let me pull up the uh, divisional uh, rankings here, the division rankings. Jacksonville, as we know, is five and two. They currently lead the division, but Houston has a win over them. Uh, Indianapolis is at three and four, but hey, they lost their, uh, pro I would probably their better quarterback uh, in Anthony Richardson, at least the more exciting one. Now, uh, Gardner Minshew's certainly able to get it done in some games, but uh, has struggled a bit so far. And then Tennessee's currently selling uh, at the moment. They shipped Kevin Byard to the Eagles. And so, as we mentioned before, maybe we don't even see 
some of the more uh, some of the better players uh, when you guys play the Titans. I don't think you've played them yet, and you play them twice towards the end of the season here. So, looking forward, is there a decent or somewhat legitimate case that maybe they do potentially win the division? As crazy as that maybe sounds, I, Jacksonville is the one that you got to beat. And I was looking through the schedule. They play the Panthers, the Bucks, the Bengals, the Cardinals. Obviously, we mentioned the Jaguars, Broncos, Jets, Titans twice, Browns, which is a tough out. And then the Colts, like of those teams, to me, the Bengals, the Jags, and the Browns are really the only fairly tough ones. Obviously, divisional games can go in a myriad of different ways, but they may have an opportunity mm-hmm. here to actually put uh, you know, Jacksonville on, on their back foot here. Absolutely. And the question is, is it possible versus is it probable, right? So can the Texans make some noise in this division? Absolutely. Like you said, the Tennessee Titans are sellers right now. And this is a team that I would be surprised if Ryan Tannehill is finishing the season as a starter in Tennessee. I expect at some point they're going to transition to give either Will Levis or Malik Willis those snaps at quarterback. And there could be even further sales if they think I mean, I think there's an argument they want to keep they might keep Derrick Henry around just to have someone their young quarterback can lean on. You can make the same argument with DeAndre Hopkins, albeit he will be a much less happy camper if he's expected to stay through a tanking year. Um, but Tennessee's not trying. And I'm you know, I think Shane Steichen, if anyone's gonna compete for I mean, is the new the new coach of the year who's been the best hire, it would be Steichen and D'Amico Ryans. And I have a hard time, though, buying into you can dress things up long enough with Gardner Minshew over the 10 remaining games for Indianapolis. Uh, So for Houston, can they be consistent enough to match Jacksonville? And I think they're going to have a lot of games like the past two weeks. They beat New Orleans 20 to 14. They lost to Atlanta 1917. You could watch both those games and say, oh, Houston deserved to win this. And you could very much watch those games and say Houston deserved to lose these games. They're young. They're going to make some mistakes. They have an opportunistic defense, but that, that's going to lead itself to some uneven results. So even on paper, if I say, hey, this team is better than the Titans or this team is better than the Jets, if you know, if they someone has if you play a good game against Houston, you can beat them. So this is I, I think they can compete with Jacksonville. But ultimately, this feels like an eight or a nine win team for Houston. And this year is about taking strides uh, with C.J. Stroud, trying to get more of those defensive pieces gelled together. And if they make the wild card, that that's a bonus. But in the meantime, I, I do think it'll be hard to keep up with Jacksonville the way they're playing. They just have more ways to win right now than Houston, it feels like. Yeah, yeah. I think that no matter what happens this year, these first six weeks, as long as you, know, you can keep uh, – keep looking pretty decent here. It's just super encouraging. I mean, you are you guys are in such a different position than you were these last couple of years. It's just got to feel so much better. <laughs> even if you're not even if yeah, even if you end with uh, you know, a middle of the road record, like there's just a lot of encouraging things that have happened this season. So, uh, thanks again for joining us here, John. Uh, before I let you go, is there anything else you wanted to add and uh, where can people find you? And Zach, thanks again for having me on. Always fun to talk about this team, especially when they're building momentum the way that they are right now. For anyone uh, looking to to talk Texans or follow what's going on with the team from week to week, uh, give me a follow on Twitter at John H. Crumpler, posting a lot on there. And that's where you can find all of my articles and my colleagues' articles at texanswire.usatoday.com. 
Thanks again, Zach, for having me on. All right. Yeah. Thanks again for joining us. And thanks again, everyone who is listening. Don't forget to like, rate, and review and repost if you can. It really does help us out here. Also, if you haven't yet, be sure to check out our Patreon and all of our previous podcasts at our website, 32beatwriters.com. John, thanks again for joining us. We'll see you guys next time.